in my workbook, I break down a good way to talk about your needs. You know, because uh, I sorry, like, it sounded like you said talk about your nudes. I, well, that's another section of the book. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, a mental health podcast. I'm Christina, your host, and I don't know why I said that so formally. Um, I just feel like I need to be formal in this moment because I've just come out of a very chaotic situation, which I guess now I have to tell you all about. Um, So I was driving here in my car. It's raining, and I'm wearing this white fleece coat that I got two years ago from a thrift store in Seattle. So it's seen better days. Um, Yesterday, I was in a park doing a cute little photo shoot, and I was taking off my coat, throwing it in the bushes, putting it on again, taking off my coat, throwing it on a dirty dock. You know, life's too short to hang up your coat properly when you're getting cute pictures taken of you. But anyway, it has burrs and shit all over it. Not real shit, but like dirt and stuff. It's seen better days. So I'm wearing this coat covered in burrs. I'm driving down the highway. It's pouring rain. And all of a sudden, my nose just starts gushing blood. Uh, This has been happening to me my whole life. My nose gets really dry. It's always been happening to me. When I was a kid, I actually had to go to the ER a few times because of it. But it normally doesn't happen that badly anymore. But no, today, it just started gushing blood on the road going 70 miles per hour in the pouring rain (laughs) music blasting yeah it was it was a chaotic moment I got it all over my coat and I had to throw it away so now I'm at my parents house where I typically record on Sundays because they have better acoustics than I do I I guess what I'm saying is I'm just happy to be here and also I'm, I'm trying to calm myself down I'm trying to tell myself that it's okay everything's fine I am a professional here validation (laughs) That's not really the way I wanted the intro to go, but if you're new here, hello, welcome. This is a podcast where, as you have probably gathered, we talk about mental health, uh, but from a point of view of not really having our shit together. Like, there's a lot of mental health podcasts out there that talk about self-help and how they got out of their shitty situations, which is amazing. But as the years go by and we see that nobody has their shit together... Uh, It's important to talk about how we're struggling and how we feel alone and that we're in a safe space to talk about the stuff that no one wants to talk about in real life. So that's why we're here, to talk about all that fun stuff and um, maybe laugh at ourselves a little bit because brains are funny. People are ridiculous. Have you met any? They don't make any sense at all. And so basically, I'm just here to tell you that... However you choose to show up today, I welcome you and I love you and thank you for listening. Okay, y'all. So I want to talk about today's guest, uh, David Kalili. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist with a focus working with men, couples therapy, and multi-ethnic individuals. Uh, He received his master's degree in counseling psychology from Golden Gate University and a master's degree in sexuality studies from San Francisco State University, where his work focused on Middle Eastern queer folks as well as kink and trauma. He also specializes in working with multi-ethnic individuals and those who have immigrated recently or are 
are first generation American born. So um, I'm not going to lie. I kind of stole that bio from his website because I was worried if I tried to list all the things that he's done, then I would mess it up. And honestly, I just read you what is on his professional website, but that's not even the beginning. I talked with David for about an hour back in September, like I said. Um, We covered, of course, uh, his work, how he works with uh, kink, polyamory, the coming out experience. We talk about his workbook, Sex Worriers, a mindfully queer guide to sex and anxiety for men. Uh, And by the way, when we say men, we are talking about male identifying folks. Uh, We're very inclusive here, so we use language like men, male, but just so you know, that's what we're referring to. But not only do we talk about, you know, his professional journey, but we also talk about how he is himself a first-generation American. His mother is Austrian, his dad is Persian, and he talks about um, growing up with multiple cultural heritages and the dichotomy between loyalty to family and then loyalty to self. I know that recently a lot of y'all have been dealing with uh, familial trauma, and um, if you know my story, you know I'm very loyal to my family. I love them to death, but I also have a lot of trauma in my uh, family background, and uh, specifically relating to religion and cultural differences there. It's been really hard. My family and I have learned a lot along the way. But um, I'm still really fortunate to have that, and I know not everyone does. And David addresses some of that with his story and as well as the work that he offers. Like, I almost didn't even know how to market this episode because he has so many specialty areas that he helps people with. And um, he's just a really amazing guest, funny as fuck. He says that he was sleep deprived during the episode, and that's why it's so funny, because he he had, had just had a newborn at the time. But I just think he's funny all the time. Uh, He's really empathetic and just will improve your relationship with yourself, your partner, whatever it is. I think hopefully you can get something out of this episode. Um, So since I talked to David in September, he has begun a group of sex and relationship therapists called Rouse, rousetherapy.com. Their motto is shame less, love more. And basically, they're striving to offer comprehensive, sex-positive, culturally and trauma-informed services to those in the margins, liminal spaces, and others who want to push out of rigid norms. We aim to help you become nicer to yourself and others. Um, Again, I read that from their website, but um, I highly recommend that you visit rousetherapy.com. They have a number of resources. They have sex therapy FAQs. They have a blog. They have services online and in person. I believe they're in California. They have courses too. So if you go to rousetherapy.com and you click courses, you can download um, a free burnout recovery guide. All you have to do is sign up for the newsletter, which I did. And I got the little recovery guide in my email today. And it's really short. It's just a few pages of um, several exercises you can do when you're burned out. And I wanted to do one of them here in the intro just to show y'all what you can gain from downloading this because it's really cool. We can all use ways to better ourselves, uh, especially if it's like stuff that you can use on a day-to-day basis in a matter of minutes because we're all busy people. Okay, so again, rousetherapy.com, click courses, sign up for their newsletter and get this free mini burnout toolkit. 
as a PDF. Um, this particular exercise is called the three-point check. And I'm just going to read you the description, and then I'm actually going to do it live. And y'all can just join me for the ride. So the three-point check is a practice rooted in mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy designed to slow yourself down to check in with multiple aspects of yourself. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you doing? Let's try this now. Don't worry about finding any profound revelations. Okay, so the first question is, what are you thinking? So if I'm being honest, I'm thinking about what a mess this intro is and how much I'll have to edit it and how people will kind of think I don't know what I'm doing or they'll be annoyed at my voice. And I'm also thinking about how my face is breaking out and how I uh, just drank Coke Zero and I'm worried about burping into the microphone. Yeah. Um, I'm also thinking about my new class that I just started and how I'm probably late on an assignment right now and how can I possibly focus on podcast and school and relationships and family and eat healthy and work out and all these things. Um, you can't ask me what I'm thinking. You just can't. So yeah, that's what I'm thinking in a nutshell. What are you feeling is the second question. So what am I feeling? Oh God. Um, I guess short term right now, I'm feeling a little bit rushed. I'm feeling stretched thin by all my commitments. But at the same time, in the long term, I feel very, very grateful that my life is so full. If you're familiar with my story, I moved here from Seattle where my life was really miserable and now my life is not so miserable. I'm stressed out a lot, sure. And I guess stress is something I'm always feeling, but I'm also feeling grateful, Uh, especially whenever I sit down to edit these episodes and I get to listen to my conversation with the guests all over again. I I feel extra grateful. Okay, last question in the three-point check is, what are you doing? What am I doing? That's a great question. What am I doing with my life? Um, No, I'm lying down on my stomach on my sister's bed. I have my hand supporting my forehead and it's kind of uncomfortable. I'm kind of clenching my shoulders and my neck. Actually, oh God. Yeah, I I just realized that I was holding a very uncomfortable posture and now that I've kind of straightened up a little bit and taken a few deep breaths, I feel a little better. I I kind of feel like y'all are in the room with me and it's just a chill time and y'all are not expecting anything from me just vulnerability and honesty and sure maybe a little bit of laughter but I, I think doing this exercise definitely made me feel a a little bit silly for worrying so much and b I, I feel kind of compassionate towards myself I'm just a human we're all just humans and I'm showing up and that is all that I require of myself or at least trying to that's all y'all should ask of yourselves too. just show up by the way amazing episode with my friend connor it's called just show it up listen to it so that was part of the mini burnout toolkit you can get it for free in your email by signing up for the newsletter on rousetherapy.com i'm going to stop talking now and actually jump right into my interview with david so you can find out for yourselves uh, how amazing he is 
as always, thank you so much for listening. I know I didn't really talk a ton about my life recently in this episode, but um, I'll get into that next week for my solo episode. For now, I just want y'all to remember that sex is meant to be a positive experience. It's uh, not supposed to be a performance. That's how I thought of it for many years. Still something I struggle with to this day. But if this episode is your first introduction to sex positivity or queer theory or mindfulness or DBT or any of the things that David talks about, hit me up after or um, you can find him on social media and message him. He would love to hear from you. Um, Okay, with that said, here's the interview. I love you all and hope you enjoy. All right. So welcome to Pickles and Vodka. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. How are you? I'm excellent. Well, actually, okay. You asked me that two seconds ago and no. I said, okay. And then you asked me again and I said, okay, but I'm lying because my stomach hurts. <laughs> oh shit. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I was worried I wouldn't be like doing any accidental burps into the microphone. I have that same worry. It's ever since, um, I don't know if you heard about this pandemic thing, but ever since that started and I started to do more telehealth sessions as a therapist, I've been like, I, my burps are mic'd and this is not cool while like a client is being... <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. I feel like we need um, like a like a a dash cam, but for like telehealth sessions, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'd probably break a few rules, but the entertainment value would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I know a little bit about you and your um, sex therapy business, but why don't you introduce yourself for the listeners and just briefly explain uh, what you do, where you live, that sort of thing. Sure. Um, my name is David Kalili. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in California in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and my main points of focus are sex and relationships. And within that uh, uh, is like anxiety and sex and kink and polyamory. Um, I just came out with a workbook called Sex Warriors. Yes. Um, about um, kind of like a, it's called a mindfully queer guide to men's anxiety around sex and dating. One day I'm going to find a shorter title. Um, <laughs> but, um, and then I also, you know, I'm first generation American born myself. And so I also work with people who are first generation American born and uh, couples or relationships, whether they're a dyad or uh, open relationship. Um, whether they're multi-heritage or interracial and, uh, or multicultural, um, just trying to help with communication or whatever might come up. Um, sure. And I yeah, feel... I just want, please. Yeah, no, I don't know where to begin. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's so much to talk about, uh, but mostly I'm just coming at this from a point of curiosity because I don't, like I said, I don't know you very well. Uh, I'm just fascinated to hear about um, how your parents came to this country and um you know how did you get into this sort of thing sure yeah um so my let's see um my dad is from iran um he was old when i was born um, <laughs> same with my dad <laughs> okay <laughs> um yeah my dad was was 40 when my sister was born and 50 when i was born and there was nice 10 year gap with, between my sister and I and we're close. I love my sister to death. She's been, especially lately, she's been really awesome with some stuff around my newborn. But so my dad, he was from Iran. He I'm trying to think, he just had like a whirlwind uh, whirlwind tour 
sort of thing, like went from Iran to London, London to Chicago, what does back he do? to London. Uh, well, he's dead at the moment, but he was. Oh, he was sorry. Kapan. No, it's okay. I, it was a traumatizing death, and I make oh. I joke about it as like a coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah. See, we know you can. Yeah. It's okay. If you're friends. <laughs> um, he was an accountant accountant uh, like for a family business okay um, and so yeah he and my mom met in the 60s in LA uh, my mom's from Austria she came from Austria to New Jersey at the age of 16 and uh ran away from home and moved to New York by herself and oh my god uh, lived in New York at the age of 16 barely knowing English and um, somehow made it out to California where she met my dad. And then they uh, decided to, with my sister, move to Iran. Oh my goodness. This is like a movie plot. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why did they, did they go back to Iran for family? For family. And like my dad was going to start a business with a family friend. And so what they did was they moved from LA to London, stayed there for a little while. And then from London to Iran, and then shortly after they moved, maybe within a year, uh, the revolution started and mm. the uprising happened. And my mom is Austrian, blonde hair, blue eyes, and she did not fit in so well. And so it became more and more unsafe. And my mom and sister fled. And then my dad closed up his business and they came back to, to America. And this all happened in, in the span of how many years? A uh, couple, couple of years. Yeah. Wow, that's... That's a lot. That's a lot for the average person to go through in a lifetime. So to go through that in the span of one or two years, I can't even imagine. Yeah. And this was beyond your recollection, right? Or how old were you? This was right before I was born. Oh, I'm, this was... I keep messing up the date. Like at the beginning, I That's thought you were talking about currently your dad was touring. And I was like, oh, you know, got it. yeah, there's some lag or something. Uh, I'm, I'm sleep deprived. So <laughs> it's like, yeah. this should be a fun one, guys. Um, <laughs> Okay, so so right before you were born, your parents went back to the United States. Yeah, and I was born in uh, San Francisco. What were your early years like? Born and raised in San Francisco, and then we um, moved to different parts of the Bay Area. You know, my parents worked uh, quite a bit to, to make it by in the Bay Area, even in the 80s. But it was nice. I mean, you know, like they were working class, but it was still it was the Bay Area. So it's like really nice weather and nice people. And let's see. I was just kind of a weird kid. Um, I guess that's the only way to really describe it. I was a weird kid. And then when I got to college, I uh, wanted to write uh, screenplays. And so then I took some psychology classes. And my first psychology class was a sexuality psychology class by this old woman from New York. As, as it usually is. <laughs> yep. Just talked very frankly about sex. And I was like, this is amazing. And so I just felt very compelled to kind of follow that path. Yeah. After yeah. that experience, uh, I would do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really curious about your, the culture of your family growing up. Like, did their parents talk about the uprising at all or what was going on there? Or, like, yeah. or were they pretty open about it? They were. They, yeah, because there were family members that had had a harder time. I don't know if it's like a good exercise to say who had it harder. But, you know, there were other family members that, that fled and some family members that were in jail, um, some family members that were beaten or like mm -hmm. uh, in, in the States. Because at that time, I don't know how much you know about the revolution, but um, there was the, the hostage crisis. And so in Iran and the American embassy, they, they took hostage some Americans at the embassy for a little over a year. Oh, wow. And so the uh, anti-Iranian hate 
in the states was 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 really thick. It was it was shitty. Like my uncle's uh, store was burned down. Uh, another uncle was was beaten, and you know, a number of my relatives for at least ten or twenty years wouldn't admit to a stranger that they were from Iran. They would say like they're from Malta or from Italy or wherever. You know? How much did that affect you growing up, if any? Like, did you were you aware of it? Yeah, no. I mean, the, our Persian culture was was very uh, like strong in my family. Like we talked about it a lot. There's there's more of my Persian relatives nearby than my Austrian relatives, so I have a, like a strong identity with my Persian side. And so there's a lot of pride in in those that survived the revolution. And there was there's definitely sides, you know, in the revolution. And there was um, both the Islamic Republic and the monarchy had had like spies, I guess you can say, or they would mm-hmm. pay, you know, pay narcs. And so there was like whispers in my family that some family members were narcs and they'd narked on other family members for oh my God. being a part of the insurrection and for, you know, not the January 6th. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, there also became a lot of uh, distrust. Don't share too much information. You don't know who's going to tell whom what and, you know, keep everything tight to your chest. And so there's a joke about in family, in my family at least, and I've heard it, other Persians talk about like, if you ask a Persian what they do, it's a very vague response like oh this or that you know uh import export <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> just like the general distrust like yeah did you say you went to new york or your teacher was from new york teacher was from new york okay that's yeah. what i'm sorry sorry so was that the first time you had heard sexuality talked about so um explicitly or um you know formally i should say Formerly, yeah. I mean, we had sex ed in, in middle school that was pretty, like, they told us about I don't know, Coca-Cola-flavored condoms in yeah. eighth grade. I, I guess um, I should ask, what was your uh, experience with it thus far? I mean, we we talked openly about it in my family, we, and we joked about sex quite a bit. So there was, like, joking about um, sex in the household. And then, you know, the Bay Area, it's kind of, there's more openness to talk about sex. And so we had to have some abstinence-only education but they would also talk about like safe sex practices, like condoms and dental dams. And, but they would also show those like CDC pictures of STDs to try to scare you. And so, yeah. you know, they're like, if you have oral sex one time and then they like put up a picture of like cauliflower on someone's dick <laughs> and they're like, this is, this is what'll happen to you when you think about oral sex one time. I grew up super Christian. So oh. my, my parents didn't even show me those. They just said, you're, you're going to die. You know, you're, you're going to go to hell. Yeah. Like that's a <laughs> no yeah. pictures did were you, needed. Did you, in, I mean, it's hard not to internalize it, especially when your parents are saying it. Did you, or did you right away say like, ah, screw that? Oh, I, I totally internalized it. Yeah. Totally yeah. not still internalizing it to this day. Of course not. No, it's way behind. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, that's a whole other episode, though. I could talk about that for hours. But I'm I'm really curious about your experience because mine was so drastically different. And also mm. because you don't see a lot of, you know, are, are you straight? I'm queer. Yeah. You're queer. OK, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I mean, no. yeah, I, you don't meet a lot of men, you know, in this field. And so yeah. I'm, I'm really curious um, to hear how you got into it. You were kind of telling me before you took that one class in, in psychology and you were hooked. Yeah. And then, um, you know, thankfully, San Francisco State University has a really awesome sexuality studies program. So I, I went there for uh, my major and my bachelor's for psychology and then my minor in sexuality studies. And then I later came back to get my master's in sexuality studies there. Okay. Um, did, did you know roughly what you wanted to do or were you just mostly curious? 
A little bit of both. I mean, I, I think in my time at uh, in undergrad and like being around other people that were studying and like learning from them and, you know, kind of like fosters some like cool discussions. And so I started to think about kink and polyamory, but I also started to think about Middle Eastern queer folk and their coming out experience. And so um, my bachelor's and my master's thesis uh, were both on Middle Eastern queer folks and coming out process. Now, had you come out as queer at the time? Not entirely. Okay. Somewhat, yeah. And that, that was a separate journey you were undergoing simultaneously? Yeah. 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 And it was it, did it have anything to do with your studies? Or would you say you were aware of the queer side of yourself like before you started that study or because of it that uh, you... I was aware. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great question, right? And I, I mean, I think that's a big part of a lot of academia is, uh, and I think a lot of things, you know, we like follow the things that really capture our own interest and whether we're yeah. aware of it or not. And so, yeah, it was, it was a good process for me. And I met a lot of like amazing people. It was, I did, you know, this, these kind of interviews with Middle Eastern queer folks and rather than just giving them surveys. And so I met a lot of lovely people and kind of expanded my community and some of the people that I interviewed for that research, I'm still friends with today. That's awesome. T- tell me a little bit about the Middle Eastern queer uh, communities, because I that's not a audience I'm familiar with in the slightest. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a big umbrella community even within that, and so it depends on like the the cultures within that. But you know, we can think of like collectivistic cultures. You know, there is like a pros and cons for all of that, right? There's the the you know, you have a really intense, deep, loving community that's like, will always have your back. But then there's also the downside of that is like every action that you have or way that you are is is reflected on that community. And so there's a lot of visibility or there's a lot of like watching of policing of you and your behavior and Mm -hmm. your relationships. And so that became an on a recurring concern, I guess you could say. For a lot of the people that I've talked to about that, just being like, yeah, I love my community. Because, you know, people say like, oh, if it's so, if you can't come out, then why are you there? Why, why don't you just leave your country? Why don't you leave your family? Why don't you... And, yeah, you know, that's... sometimes that is a really cut and dry, clear option. That's just like 100% yes. But like... There's so many facets to consider. And... Exactly. There's a great documentary on HBO called Be Like Others. And it, it's about Iran and it's about the LGBTQ community. <laughs> And how Iran was the first, if not only, country. I don't know about that. I'll have my fact checkers. Their work. It's off to the side, right? <laughs> it's off, off camera. It's my cat. You can hear the typing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Meowster. Um, so they they actually they have government funded uh, gender affirming surgery in Iran. Oh wow! And it sounds really amazing, um, but what it is is actually they, the way they they framed it is that they see trans folks as as a mistake made by God which is really fascinating that they would admit that God made a mistake. What a dichotomy. Right. <laughs> and so they, they want to offer a path to correct God's mistake by correcting the gender. And so what ends up happening is, yeah, there might be some trans folks who, I mean, there's definitely some trans folks in Iran who are benefiting from the surgery, but there's also a lot of gay men who don't identify as trans um, who are going through the surgery in order to stay in Iran or stay in their relationship or stay within their family. That just opened a million different doors in my brain. Yeah. Like, I don't know how prevalent it is. So I don't want to make it sound like it's this, you know, but it, 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 it is happening and it has happened. Um, and it's really troubling and it's very sad. Yeah. So that, what, when was it that you started your career? Uh, like the 2010s, you know, okay. and, and I also, like before that I worked in um, 
this you know this could be a good place to start. Was I, I started at working at sex shops, um, one <gasps> in Texas and one in yeah. Okay, I saw it on your website, and I was yeah. going to ask about it. Thank you. <laughs> You're so good at this. <laughs> so, um, yeah, tell me about that experience working in a sex shop. It was great. So I moved down to Austin for a, a PhD program that I later dropped out of. Mm-hmm. And I, have a, I had a friend down there who owned a sex shop and I needed a job and she needed an employee. And so it worked out really well. And the interesting thing about that at the time, I'm pretty sure it's still the same case, but there's, there was a lot of really shitty laws around selling sex toys, selling and uh, possessing sex toys in Texas. And so if you had more than like five sex toys on you as a person, it would be considered intent to distribute. (laughs) And um, and so she used to do like, not play parties, but like uh, sex toy parties. I forget the the name of it. But so, you know, there'd be time when she'd be driving with like a chest full of, you know, dildos and vibrators and would be really worried about being pulled over because she would get, oh my God, potentially get arrested. and so what we also had to do is we had to take, we get a shipment in and take all the toys out of the packaging and put it in like uh, discrete packages because there couldn't be any like nudity on the, on the packages. So you took them out like five at a time <laughs> <laughs> running out to the car uh-huh, right. under, under the watchful eye of yeah. police. Well, I, I lived in Austin um, oh. from like 2013 to 2017. So not, you know, later, yeah. but um yeah, one of my favorite cities. No, there's some there's some great uh, people and things to do in Austin. I, I love it there. So yeah, the, the name of the shop was Sensations. I was gonna ask. I was like, is that appropriate to ask? Can I like give yeah. them some love? You know, they're not open anymore. But um, oh. yeah, I know. Uh, but but she yeah, she's Morgan is awesome. Um, yeah, was woman woman owned and operated uh, spot until I showed up, and and then I helped operate. And it was yeah, it was a great great time. It was a great community. People came. I love just kind of. Both with that place and the place that uh, is in San Rafael, California, VIP. I worked there for about five years. It was just really nice to have people come in with some shyness around, you know, talking about sex and sexuality. And then for me to be like, yeah, no problem. Come right this way. It's kind of mind blowing the first time you experience that. I mean, I come mm-hmm. from a really sexually repressed background as well. And so like, I, I still feel sh- like weird walking into sex shops and my 18 year old uh-huh. sister will just be like, you want to go into the sex shop? Like, uh-huh. I mean, you know, that's not a situation that's actually happened, but you know, she, she would. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's strange to me. So I'm really curious uh, about you working specifically with men uh, and their sexual problems. When you were working in the sex shop, is there anything that surprised you about the, the male clients that would come in? Like, what w- would you find there to be any common, like you said, shyness? Yeah, I mean, there'd be, there's a lot of... <laughs> Just to clarify, when you say male clients, you mean like male identifying? Like Male identifying. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. Thank you. So this was in 2008 when I worked at the sex shop in San Rafael. And so this was like right at the cusp of when like in, the internet was becoming more and more available. And I was more aware of it only because we had like 3000 porn DVDs and <laughs> we, we rented them and they did amazing profits on renting DVDs. But around 2008, 2009 was when that started to go down because people had faster internet and easier access to the internet. You know what? I also uh, was diagnosed with depression for the first time in 2008. So I think there's a, you know. there, there you go. There's a correlation. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. No, I would love to. <laughs> So therefore, yeah. And so, you know, the guys would come in wearing kind of like the Unabomber outfit. They would wear like the hoodie and the the, um, the sunglasses. And then they would go and get trans porn because it was like such a stigma, right? And, but there's also like, there's it's such a threat to the, the heterosexual male ego 
to want transform. We also had a wide selection of cock rings. And so I liked giving the tour of that because it's like a lot of different materials and options and also like a really good moment to educate guys to not use rubber bands, don't use their girlfriend's hair tie. It's going to cut off circulation and they're going to have to like bleed out your penis essentially. To oh like my God. And then uh, we had a really fun time uh, building up their book collection. That, that, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm still stuck on the hair ties. That's, that's, a common, <laughs> that's a common thing that happens. Not to that extent where they have to go to the hospital, but you know, where they, they do need to get some sort of extrication involved. From My them. listeners are like, Christina, yes, that happens. I'm just like, I don't know. This is the first time I've heard about it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the point. Like, I, I, it, maybe it should be yeah. talked about, it sounds like. Right, exactly. And I think that's the thing, you know, I, and in my work, I have guys coming to me who, you know, and even at the, both in my practice now as a therapist and also working at a sex shop, where there would be a lot of shame, a lot of embarrassment, a lot of, you know, they're just trepidation. And then, you know, voices are shaking. And then they admit that they like to watch porn or they like to chat with people online sexually. And they've been holding this as this big shameful secret for so long. And it's just been eating away at them. And they speak it into existence for the first time in, in front of me or another therapist. And it's this weight lifted off. And I just wish that they would have had that weight lifted off a lot earlier. You know, in the office when Michael is trying to get everyone's attention and he just yells, sex. That's basically what I'm doing right now. Um, I want to take a quick break from this conversation to talk about sex. Do you find yourself getting stuck in your head during sex? You're definitely not alone. As a cishet woman who was raised in a sexually repressive environment, I'm no stranger to associating sex with anxiety. Uh, but what I've realized in recent years is that men struggle with this stuff too, and in overwhelming numbers. Yet for a lot of male identifying folk, talking about their sexual insecurities is a hurdle in and of itself. That's why I'm telling you about Sex Warriors, a mindfully queer guide to sex and anxiety for men. Written by guest David Kalili, this interactive workshop is perfect for anyone who gets stuck in their thoughts or struggles with being present enough to enjoy sex and dating. Not only will it help you stop avoiding sex and rebuild intimacy with your partner and yourself, It'll also help you learn where your sex anxiety comes from in the first place and how you can use grounding skills to lessen its impact on your life. Uh, sex Warriors was written for male identifying individuals, but it can also benefit their partners as well as therapists and coaches who might work in the sexual wellness industry. Uh, I'm not a man, but my partner is, and we love how this workbook is constantly encouraging you to just slow down and communicate your anxieties, even if it's a little awkward in the moment. It's all worth it. Um, so if you want your own copy of Sex Warriors, I'm offering an exclusive discount for y'all. Uh, go to rousetherapy.com or bit.ly slash pickles15 to purchase the entire workbook for 15% off. That's 15% off an already amazing price of $17. So basically you can get it for like $14.45 with pickles15. When David told me that the coupon code was going to be pickles15, I laughed because you're talking about sex and it's pickles, one of my 12. And then he was like, well, it was going to be PIV 15, but that would have been a little too crazy. <laughs> so yeah, just go to bit.ly slash pickles 15, or just use pickles 15 at checkout to stop shaming and start loving today. That can be done by, you know, normalizing and reducing shame. And I feel like some people were afraid of the internet for that reason. Like at least in 
again, in my very sheltered experience, I found that men in particular were afraid of, you know, porn and stuff because of what they would unleash in them mm-hmm. um, rather than use it to accept themselves and pursue their curiosities. They said, no, th- I want, I'm not like this. This is bringing it out in me. Like, did you uh-huh. have you ever found that? to be the case can you say so this is was this in the christian community yes yeah the the internet's evil because we can look at porn now and men are going to be tempted and right i mean that's a pretty prevalent attitude in white 90s christianity at least (laughs) absolutely no absolutely absolutely yeah 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 i didn't get too many of those guys come to me maybe their parents did or or you know they had family members that would kind of give those you know that they would say like don't watch porn or you know um where they would get messaging about masturbation is, is evil. Yeah. Shout out to my fellow Catholics. Um, I was raised half Catholic, half Muslim. And so there's like... Oh, lucky you. Of both. Yeah. Um, um, I was raised Presbyterian and I was taught that masturbation would ruin your marriage. So Ruin your marriage, huh? Yeah, that's... Yeah. If yeah. you're a woman, yeah. And so that's the thing. So there's, there's these type of kind of tips, quote unquote, like don't masturbate or it's going to ruin your marriage. And it's like meant to say as like a way of like helping you or helping your marriage. But what it does is it like polices your pleasure as a woman and it tells you what you should or shouldn't be able to do with your body and your pleasure and your desire. Yeah. And I mean, I'm intimately familiar with, uh, you know, women's anxieties around sex, having experienced many of them myself, but I'm really curious about um, some of the common anxieties that men face that get in the way of enjoying sex, uh, specifically, I mean, you, you know, queer men, straight men, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, body image, um, not to the extent that, that female identified folks face for sure, but there's still that, that pressure, especially like queer men, um, there's a big pressure on physique um but also you know penis size and and um in performance thanks to to porn and you know the pressures that men face she says that men are um feel the pressure to have a big dick get really hard right away and uh and come a lot when they do just based mm-hmm. on porn and sometimes their partner regardless of gender will also hold those beliefs and expectations and then when you got the two of them doing that then it feeds into this kind of like terrarium of anxiety expectations um which then gets them both out of their heads and or gets them both like stuck in their heads and then they're not really present and having sex they're kind of just awkward you know i don't like yeah it's like what you know which anxiety came first you know it's like (laughs) yeah and people like the people can be like tuning forks right they like feed off of each other so so how do you interrupt that cycle like what can help them I mean, I think mindfulness works. Allowing yourself to slow down is really is really good. You know, I talk about in my workbook, I talk about the difference between linear model of sex and circular model of sex. And so the linear model of sex is like the script that we all are told about through media and it's very heteronormative and vanilla and non-transactional and able-bodied. And it's like, you know, you start with the eye contact and you start with the hand holding, you start with the kissing and then the grabbing a breast and then oral sex penetration orgasm maybe sleep maybe and then you know you haven't made a baseball reference yet i haven't made a baseball reference yet. <laughs> but the idea of that is like with those steps is that if any of those one of those steps goes wrong quote unquote wrong then that leads to frustration and like well screw it we can't finish the rest of the the script anyways because mm. this step number three you know just didn't work yeah. and we're too frustrated and so i mean i think a lot of people have if not everyone's experienced that 
whatever cause of frustration and they're like, well, screw it. We're just not going to have, we're not going to finish having sex. And that, that just assumes that the end goal is always the same, which is, you know, ejaculation or whatever. And penetration. Penetration. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the circular model of sex is just kind of imagine you're in this like nice 1970s um, circular bed that rotates and is fuzzy and you're there with a partner or partners and around the edge of the the bed is just all the options and it can be you know uh it can be spanking it can be making out it can be oral sex it can be oral sex to orgasm it can be massage whatever it is and you can just bounce to 12 o'clock three o'clock five o'clock six o'clock and there's no rhythm or prescribed um pace to it and so now you're just in this like smorgasbord of, of delight. But what you benefit from is being able to like hold steady in that, you know, you might be reaching orgasming coming at some point and your partner will be like, actually, you know what? I want to go to massage. And it's your job to be like, all right, take a deep breath and pivot, you know, downshift and then go to massage. It sounds simultaneously liberating and also um, overwhelming. Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, right, there's, it, there's definite, there's an art to it where, you know, you need to be aware of your partners and your own needs right. and, you know, timing yeah. and everything. So, so what are some reactions of, of people, specifically men, like, you know, male identifying people when you tell them that? Yeah. I mean, some of them, some of them think like, yeah, that's great. You know, um, others have that reaction of like, oh, that just sounds like too much work. You know, why can't I just come? Um, others, you know, yeah, they're like, this sounds wonderful, but like, how do I, it also sounds like a lot of rather than seeing it as liberating, they see it as more opportunities to, you know, quote unquote fail. And so then we work on you know, what is what is that idea in your mind of what failure is? And like, who's the taskmaster in your head telling yeah. you you need to perform? Right. And then we, you know, that's great. And so then we say like, okay, can we ascribe, you know, where did that, that voice originate from? And if it didn't originate from one particular experience, then like, can we give that voice like a name? Yeah. And can we interact with that voice and, and ask that voice to just like take a break for a second so that we can be more present with our partners? Because I feel like a lot of people around anxiety um, and sex is they get really hyper-focused on something, uh, whether it's not messing up or getting what they want. And that can then lead to uh, boundary violations, that can lead to consent violations, that can lead to, to just not really engaging with your partner. Yeah. I mean, you're describing getting caught in your head, essentially. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. um, that yeah. happens to everyone. But in particular, I think I've only been with men, but I, that's pretty common for me that that's something that they struggle when they are caught in their head. They don't they either don't want to talk about it or they don't know how to talk about it. Yeah. So yeah. what's your experience been like with that? Yeah. And so that's the other thing in my, in my workbook, I break down a good way to talk about your needs. You know, because I feel sorry, like, it sounded like you said, talk about your nudes. I, well, that's another section of the book. <laughs> no, 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 no. But in the, in chapter three is how do you talk about your nudes? Cause you oh, really want to, yeah. You want to be able to really explain the composition and the lighting and the, you know, <laughs> Yes. Okay. I'm yeah. so sorry. Continue, David. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I, I, my, my workbook uses um, dialectical behavioral therapy and mindfulness and, you know, I'm more psychodynamically trained, but with something like a workbook, you know, these type of practices are really good. So a dialectical behavioral therapy communication technique is called Dear Man. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but. Well, so I, I actually, in my notes, wrote mindfulness, 
dialectical uh. behavioral therapy and queer uh -huh. theory. I wanted you to touch on each of them. Uh, I am familiar with DBT, but um, could cool. you just summarize it real quick to the listeners? Yeah, it was uh, started by Marsha Linehan. Um, I don't know when. Uh, and it was specifically designed as a treatment program for uh, borderline personality folks and bipolar folks. And then they found out that it's really awesome and can work for people who experience all sorts of mental health issues, like, you know, generalized anxiety or depression or PTSD. And so it involves the dialectics, both sides. So you're looking at, um, you know, you have kind of the all or nothing thinking that can happen. So let's say with anxiety and sex, you know, um, if I lose my erection, then then we're not gonna we're gonna stop having sex, and she's never gonna call me again. That's a pretty extreme option. And mm -hmm. so then we look at the other end of the extreme, where it's like you have the most amazing sex, and it's wonderful, and you're hard the whole time. And so then we bring, okay, what's in the middle? What 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 are the options in between? And we kind of like bounce back and forth. And it also incorporates mindfulness and so meditation and then communication skills and emotional regulation. Uh, mindfulness is kind of a buzzword right now. When you it say is. mindfulness, what do you mean by that? Yeah, it, you know, just kind of being really aware of like what's going on with your your body, your, your, your nervous system, your thoughts, your needs, your boundaries. Um, just having an, an awareness of, you know, what you're experiencing. And it doesn't mean that you have to just like rawly experience life hundred percent all the time. That sounds horrible. Um, <laughs> but you know, you, there's an awareness that you bring to yourself and you don't put it on other people. You put it on yourself. You are aware of how other people impact you, but you know, when you think of mindfulness, you think I'm being mindful of other people, but really mindfulness, like you're focusing inward on your own mind. Like I'm yeah. being mindful of what my mind is doing. I mean, that's, pretty meta but you know what i mean <laughs> no, no no that's great right uh, and like we are like um, an instrument right like we mm -hmm. we can be like tuning forks with other people's anxiety so like that's part of therapy training is allowing yourself to like tune into your own thoughts and feelings and experience to use that as information on what's going on so what about the third pillar that you mentioned queer theory oh yeah queer theory is great it'll be the next thing that florida school boards will be competing against around like it's critical race theory is, has become that critical race theory is awesome and trump lovers are trying to use it as a way of taking over uh of white continuing the whitewashing of american history anyways <laughs> queer theory is um essentially just noting that like a lot of our research a lot of the things that are taught in the states and a lot of the um, the lenses that are used are from like white, straight, heteronormative, able-bodied, you know, those folks. Mm -hmm. um, and so it offers a you know a queer lens to to history, to politics, to police, to military, to gender, to sexuality. And so to take a queer look at at gender is to say like you know that masculinity is not 100% innate and is not 100%, you know, a part of us and that we perform masculinity. I'm performing masculinity. I lift weights so that I can perform masculinity. I, I wear button down shirts so I can perform masculinity. Rambo is, is, uh, is an amazing drag performer. You know, he, he performs masculinity. And so that's like a very simplistic way of talking about queer theory is, mm -hmm. is, um, you know, is also looking at power. It's looking at power dynamics, but it, it encompasses, so much yeah politics race gender sexuality what are um some common ways that you find it come out in the bedroom like in the men the anxieties and problems that people bring to you i mean i think you know anxieties are encouraged by the shoulds you know by the by our high expectations and so queer theory says 
you know, just because the the dominant culture says that one thing should be that way, it doesn't mean that that it has to be, and that that not only can we fight against it, but we should. And so, you know, that brings on conflict, and conflict can bring on anxiety for some people because they feel like if they don't present in the way that is needed in order to get what they want, then they're not going to get what they want. Mm-hmm. And so I try to help guys figure out, like, if you present in a genuine way, then you're going to get what you want in a really direct and honest way, rather than a disingenuine, manipulative way by showing up in a way that you're not. Yeah. I have a couple more questions for you. So we, we talked about what are some things that surprise you about clients? What are some things that clients are surprised by? Yeah. I mean, I think it ranges. It goes from those guys that were, were very... Um, very emotional telling me that they liked certain types of porn or they liked, you know, chatterbait to use, you know, and, and it was like this really intense secret for them. And it was because of just a lot of sexual shaming for them growing up, you know, a lot of Christian sexual shaming. And and so I remember in my working at the sex shop and guys would be like really, really, really embarrassed. And then they would tell me that they like just, you know, big butt porn or something like that. And I'm like, Oh, that's not whatever. I think there's just a spectrum, right? There's a range, you know? And so nothing really surprises me, I guess I could say. And I think that's what people have, have appreciated about my work and, and other therapists' work is like, we're, we're not there to judge. We just, you know, we're not saying like everything's weird, or everything's normal, but we're just like, no, this is a human experience. And so we just really want to, provide that space for us to understand it, it. kind of reminds me of being on reddit and uh, i'm mm-hmm. i'm a recovering alcoholic so i'm on some sober subreddits and some yeah. people will come in and be like i drank a six pack a day and they're wait for they'll wait for people to be impressed and the other people will be like oh i drink you know fifth every morning it's like yep. it's all relative no one yep. cares the reason is that you're all here and you're all wanting to grow yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. like it, <laughs> it's yeah, I almost said it's like a, a dick measuring contest, but with you, it's literally <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> a little on the nose there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have one more question that I want to find out how people can read your workbook, how they can yeah. find more about you. But um, so you have a five week old. Yeah. And I'm really curious, how do you plan on approaching sex with uh, your child? Uh, what would you do differently or like, are there things you would do the same? That's a really awesome question. You know, I think raise them in a similar environment where uh, sex is talked about in in a really natural and light way, you know, with levity and, and joking. And But, you know, I think my mom being raised in Austria as a Catholic, she definitely had some of those like really intense beliefs. And so not going to carry that on to my, my little one. You know, I'm going to be modeling consent along the way about like asking to touch or, you know, giving permission to be touched or hugged. What age would you, would you say, I mean, is there even an, like, again, I'm asking for like specifics, but it's all on a spectrum of, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think as as soon as they become kind of cognizant of human interaction, I want to try to encourage some form of like requesting or engagement or consent or, you know, there's a a book that just came out called, um, how to raise a kid that's not an asshole that just came out last month (laughs) and i can't wait to read that because it's uh, it might be my guide (laughs) that sounds amazing that's my biggest fear that's been my biggest fear for the last you know ever since i've been wanting to have a kid for a long long time but the thing that like will hit me in the gut when it when it occurs to me what if my kid's an asshole what if my kid is just like is unempathetic just a total prick that would kill me that would suck i don't care what else he does as long as he's like kind and happy i'm I'm chill. I'm good. <laughs> Just don't be an asshole. <laughs> don't be an asshole. Yeah. 
we need less assholes in this world right now. There's so many assholes right oh, now. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> I am child free myself and that don't plan on having kids. But yeah. one of the things that scared me the most uh, is that you can't control all of it. You know, you could read yeah. all the books in the world and you still can't control. But I think it's amazing that your kid's going to be raised with those values. Like it's just, <laughs> I can't even fathom that. Like my yeah. experience was so opposite. So like, I, I love that. Thank you. Uh, like I said, I don't really talk, I'm not a parent, so I don't talk about that on my podcast, but I have a lot of <laughs> listeners who are. So where can they find you for more resources and stuff like that? Yeah, um, my website is uh, www.davidfkhalili.com. That's K-H-A-L-I-L-I. Um, and you can also find me in DFK Therapy on both Facebook and Twitter. And my workbook is on Amazon and Etsy and all over the place. And, I'm, you know, email me. I'm, I'm happy to, to talk to folks and give them. I, I like connecting people. I have a code for people <laughs> if they want your, your workbook right. for 15% off. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Of course, thank you. Do you have anything else you want to say before saying goodbye? No, this was fun. Um, this was the most awake I've been in, in five weeks, so uh, I, hope, I hope I was... I feel honored. I feel honored. <laughs> I think I'm dating, apparently. Yeah. So am I. This is perfect place to stop. All right, well, thank, <laughs> thank you, you so much, much, David. Have a good night. Bye. Hello, friends. It's Christina again. As always, thank you for listening. If you want to support Pickles and Vodka, you can give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, Pickles and Vodka Podcast. If you could relate to anything at all we talked about today, or you just want to say hi, email me at picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com, or DM me on Instagram at Pickles and Vodka Podcast. Stay safe and have a good week. Bye.
Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Pickles and Vodka. If you could relate to anything we talked about, you can follow the podcast at Pickles and Vodka Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook by typing in Pickles and Vodka Podcast. You can also email me at Pickles and Vodka Podcast at gmail.com if you have any stories or if you just want to say hi. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Stay safe.